What a, what a glorious day. If you, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to two passages, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at one verse there, and then uh, you can also get a large portion of scripture that we're going to read from John chapter 20. Romans chapter 8 and John 20, we've got a bunch of other scriptures. Um, you have to forgive me, I'm a little tired, you know, when, uh, uh, when, uh, when Easter falls on April Fool's, you know, dads have to stay up late and do something, right? Oh, by the way, you can still do this. Your kids are next door. This is just great. What you do is you go and buy those little chocolate eggs, right? And uh, you empty out the chocolate and you replace it with grapes and you just wrap it back up. You know, they think they're getting candy. Yeah, I mean, it's all kinds of great things you could do on a day like this to celebrate the resurrection. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a great time today. I believe God's got a word for you today. I believe that today should be the most joyous day as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. If you were here Friday night, I spoke a message said that, uh, that titled, The Cross Speaks. The cross speaks, and we, we looked at what the cross was still saying to us today, and, and, and that message is still pertinent every day. But today, I want to speak to you a message called, The Resurrection Speaks. The resurrection is speaking to us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the, the event that separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. You can visit every tomb of every major religious leader, and you will find them there. However, in that garden tomb in Israel, it is empty. He is alive. So the resurrection is speaking to us today, and we're going to use uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11 as our primary scripture today, just to look at it, uh, and I want you to see what the resurrection is saying to us. God doesn't want you to just come today and go through a religious exercise and, and, and just hear another sermon, maybe collect a few more notes. He actually wants you to experience the power that the resurrection released. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, New King James Version, says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm going to read that again. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And in, in preparation and prayer for this day, I could not get away from this verse. I wanted to go back uh, to, to some of the more traditional passages and say, you know what, Lord, I want to I just, just kind of uh, go to one of those passages and tear it apart and, and see the beauty of the day. And we will look at that in just a moment. Uh, from the Apostle John's perspective. But I believe that there is something powerful unlocked from Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the resurrection actually wants to speak to us through this verse. The resurrection says three things. The first thing, it says this, Jesus is alive. Jesus 
is alive. We've got to get this in our heart and our spirit. And you know, many times we, we hear a history lesson and we just kind of imagine that place. Jesus really is the Son of God who came and walked the hills of Israel and preached the gospel and the good news to all who would receive it. He really did climb a hill named Golgotha, the skull. He really did hang suspended six hours on a cross between heaven and earth, giving his life as the eternal sacrifice for our sin. He really did say from that cross, it is finished. The debt is paid. There really was an earthquake and there really was a Roman centurion banging on his chest saying, this is truly the Son of God. And this is the truth that he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And here is the truth that you cannot escape as you read throughout the New Testament. Jesus was resurrected on the third day as the scriptures say. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. And when we as the church get a revelation that Jesus is alive, we respond differently to him. He is alive. Verse 11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now the classic account in, in John, I, I, I love this account, and so we're going to read it. There's a lot of scriptures here. But I want you to get a picture of this day. I'm going to read this to you, and I'll, I'll interject some other thoughts. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, that's John, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter. I, 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 you know, I know every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this one makes me giggle. Because John's writing this, and he says, I outran him. I outran him. And he came to the tomb first, and he, stooping down and looked in, saw the linen cloth lying there. Yet he, John, did not go in. Then Simon, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, which was totally his personality. He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? 
and I will, I, I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. I want to, I want you to understand some things. This is a powerful moment. And if you combine Luke and John, you can kind of see the full picture uh, of, of, of what actually uh, took, pla- took place. But the, the thing that I wanted to draw your attention to is that Mary lingered after the disciples went back. And she lingered there, and she looks in, and then she sees these two angels. By the way, she wasn't stunned at the angels. Which I want to, I like to say, church, if we would become more of a pursuer of Jesus, I think we could handle the supernatural the right way. And so she sees an angel at the head and the feet of Jesus. This moment is incredible. For a Jew, this was a moment of all moments. You see, she then understood the place where he was laid in that tomb had become the mercy seat. The very place where God's presence would abide on the ark for years and years before Israel. And there were two angels that would stretch forth their wings over this mercy seat. And this was the place that Israel would receive forgiveness. They would come in once a year. They would offer the blood sacrifice. And here Mary sees the completion of that Old Testament type before anyone else. She sees the mercy of God. It's amazing. But she goes out having encountered the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus and begin to tell everyone that he was raised. His disciples then, after encountering him, proclaimed his resurrection everywhere. And it is central to the gospel message. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul dis- describes it this way. He says, he appeared to, to, to the disciples and then to over 500 at one time. He's saying there are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. All of them saying the same thing. Jesus is alive. Uh, in, in a moment uh, after, uh, after Pentecost, uh, Peter and John are going up to the temple in a time of uh, prayer, there is a, a beggar laying there at, at a gate called Beautiful, and he looks up at the disciples expecting to receive something. Peter looks down and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Rise in the name of Jesus. And the, the, the scripture says they reach down, take his hand, they lift him, and strength comes to his feet and bones. And this man who has been paralyzed all of his life is now walking and leaping. Now, they said, all right. We need an explanation of how this took place. Please give us an explanation of it. Now, in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, we can read part 
of the explanation, which really wouldn't fly over today very well in our politically correct culture. It says this in the NIV, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. He's saying, listen, this man stands whole in the name of Jesus. You killed him, God raised him from the dead, and we now are experiencing the overflow of that resurrection power. That is what he was saying. They are testifying that God is, has raised Jesus from the dead. In, in Acts 13, Paul, as he's been sent out with, with Barnabas in explaining the gospel in Antioch, he says, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jer Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the people. Now listen, it gets very bold. Paul, the same one who made this declaration that God raised him from the dead, pens these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 6, verse 9. And it says this, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And listen to these words. We know he's alive. Paul, in his description in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, he appeared to everybody else and then me last of all. He says this, I know he's alive. And can I just tell you, a church that has been transformed by his grace can say the exact same thing. I'm not guessing. It's not a maybe. I know he's alive. Matter of fact, I think all of the world is crying out for a church that is convinced that Jesus is alive. And lives accordingly. The resurrection is saying to us, Jesus is alive. The second thing the resurrection is saying to us is this. We are made for his spirit. Oftentimes, this is not the connection that we make in a resurrection uh, moment, but this is the one that the spirit of God was just so pressing in on me that you could not disconnect from this moment. Romans 8, 11a, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, notice these words, dwells in you dwells in you. You see, Jesus died on the cross and was buried. I, you know, it, I, the, I, I understood the dying and the resurrection, but a few years ago, I just said, Lord, talk to me about being buried. What was that about? Why three days? I mean, if you asked a Hollywood director to pen the scene, would they have penned it that way? Probably not. It would have been way more dramatic. It would have been he would have died there and then come down and then almost immediately raised to life. That's not what happened. He went into the grave for three days. I said, Lord, talk to me about that. And we know that he was uh, proclaiming the gospel to those who were chained. The scripture tells us that. But he was also doing something else. He was burying the sins of all humanity where they belonged. In hell. 
in hell. That's what he was doing. He was bearing the sins of all who would repent, all who would turn to him. He says, I'm going to put this where it belongs. The penalty belongs in hell. And when the penalty of sin is removed, God gets his desire. You know what his desire is? To restore Eden. Where he can once again put his spirit in man. You see, you and I are made to be the dwelling place of God's Spirit. Look what happens after Jesus ascends and goes to the Father. Remember, he tells Mary, Mary, don't touch me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. But now, uh, look at John chapter 20, verse 19. It says this, then the same day. At evening, being the first day of the week. This is after the resurrection. He ascends, goes to heaven. Now he comes back and it says, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. That means he either walked through the wall or just appeared in the room. And he said to them, Peace be with you. That's got to be what he has to say. Because who wouldn't be astonished in that moment? He says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus does after the resurrection with the disciples is give them his spirit. He gives his disciples the Spirit, he breathes on them, and the, the Spirit comes into them. This is the moment when man first experienced John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said to the, uh, Nicodemus, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again, literally in the Greek, means to be born of the Spirit. If you are not born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. And this is the point of the resurrection. Right after the resurrection, he is saying, you are made for my presence. He breathes on his disciples and they experience new life in Christ. I don't want to say to everyone here today, he's still breathing on disciples today. He's still breathing on any who would repent, turn from their way and turn to him and accept the free gift of his grace through what he did on, uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection. You place your faith and your trust in him, here's what he does. And his spirit comes into you and you come alive for the first time. We should be the most alive people on the planet. Why? Because the author of life puts his spirit in us. The resurrection says you are made for his presence. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, or, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? He's saying, listen, you were made for this. You're made for his spirit. 
And I know that, that many people, and maybe even some today in this room, they say, you know what, I'm here, and I'm, I'm just doing a nice gesture for my family, and we're, we're, we're going to come to church today, but I don't really have the willpower to be a Christian. I don't have that, I don't have that kind of willpower. I've got some really good news for you. I've got some really good news for you. Neither do we. We don't have the willpower either. Because it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit. You could read that list and get really disappointed as soon as you get to the first word. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then you go to Walmart the day before Easter and there are not enough cashiers. And then it's very hard to love whoever made that schedule. And it's very hard to love that person who knows they should not be in that speedy line. If I had the time to count their items, I know they had enough time to count their items. And I, I, I just want to tell you, none of us have enough willpower to be a Christian. We need his power to be a Christian. It is the fruit of the Spirit that produces love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control. It is, it is his Spirit that produces the fruit. And it's not only that he produces fruit, he actually produces gifts. We read that, you know, and sometimes here in our spirit-filled fellowship, we read about the gifts and we're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm really cut out for, for the miraculous. None of us are. I don't know if you've noticed, but none of us could heal anybody by ourselves. We can't. And yet we see gifts of healing as a gift that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, God wanted to give us his spirit. Not so we could manifest more of us, but so that we could manifest more of him to a planet who desperately needs him. The Holy Spirit in you, producing fruit, helping you to operate in gifts, helping you to reach people and to love people in a way that honors Jesus. Here's what it says. Jesus is alive. It says he's alive. Have you ever been in that moment where somebody looks at you and you've been, you just, man, you, the joy of the Lord is on your life. There's something different about you and someone looks at you in the face and just says, what is it about you? Your joy irritates me. This is not an opportunity to become more grumpy. Don't take anyone up on that. No, this is our opportunity to say, there's only one thing that separates me from anybody else. And point back to the day that you died. And his spirit came into you and raised you up. 
and show them that the life that you now live is not your own, but it's Christ living through you. That's what separates, and the resurrection says to you and I today, you are made for his spirit. The last thing that the resurrection says to us is, we too will rise. You guys heard earlier in the service us announcing one of the, the cornerstones has gone to be with the Lord. You know, uh, the scripture tells us that we don't mourn as others who have no hope. Hope is the joyful expectation that good is coming. That means that in a moment where people are mourning, you can still have a joyful expectation that God is going to do something in our lives, and ultimately, we will rise again. Romans 8, 11, the very end of the verse says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who dwells in you. This is the promise of resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and 6 says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, you can actually underline that word guarantee. I'm going to come back to it. It says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, this scripture says, it says, listen, God has given to us his spirit. Remember, we're made for his spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee means deposit. Officially, in God's economy, believers are on layaway. He put a deposit in you. And he says, hey, by the way, I'm coming back to collect. I'm coming back to receive what I have put my deposit into. That's why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit. We think that God is coming back for us. He's actually coming back to retrieve the Spirit. And if the Spirit's in you, you will be raised from the dead. That is biblical truth. In Genesis, he breathed out, and man became a living being. At the end of this age, he will breathe in and receive back all who have his spirit in them. That is what the resurrection is saying. We, too, will rise from the dead. You notice the scripture says, to be, uh, while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But the Bible also describes a time to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. That we're going to be present with him. And, and one of the most clearly taught doctrines in scripture is that of the resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, uh, Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We are going to experience a transformation in this body called the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
Oh, that's good news. Man, that's a shouting verse right there. We shall not all die, but in that moment we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. He's saying, listen, then in that moment you will know the full power of the resurrection. This verse is attributed to Jesus overcoming the power of death in his resurrection, but it is also attributed to us when one day we rise from the dead or we live to the moment of the last trumpet. And he transforms this body and we become like him. And we'll forever be with the Lord. We'll meet him and we'll forever be with him. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, penned these words of the resurrection that we are going to experience. It says, when we shall rise again, we shall be freed from all corruption. No evil tendencies shall remain in us without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, with, without even the shadow of a spot the eye, which the eye of omniscience could discover. We shall be as pure as Adam before his fall, as holy as the immaculate manhood when it first came from the divine hand. We shall be better than Adam, for Adam might sin. But we shall be so established in goodness and in truth and in righteousness that we shall not even be tempted again. Much less shall we have any fear of falling. We shall stand spotless and faultless at the last great day. Brethren, lift up your heads. There's a promise of a resurrection. And listen, one day, we, if we should all in this room pass away, those who have placed faith in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, the way you place faith in him is by trusting him with your life. It's not to just pray a prayer and put your name on a church roll. Uh, that, that, that's not it. It is to say, God, I Give my life to you. Spurgeon says there's going to be a day like no other for us. Now, in order to receive the promise that the resurrection is speaking about, you have to receive the gift. And I want to read one final scripture that are the words of Jesus. And I, I want you to hear them as if he is speaking these to you. Because he is, by his spirit, through his word. I want to finish today by reading to you John 11, verse 25. It says, Jesus said to her, I am am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do 
you believe this? Do you believe? The earliest question given to the church inquiring about how you lay hold of eternal life was this. Sirs, brethren, what must we do to be saved? And it's very simple. It's repent and believe. Repent and believe. Hear the question uttered from our Savior's lips. Do you believe?